you know, what really got you into um, first, first of all, sales, right? for another episode bank that radio show i'm your host andreas and i have another interview being brought via zoom of the pod match series or i don't even know if i'm about that series because we have merit Khan, who uh is very interesting she is a businesswoman by day ceo and sales expert and then by night she's a comedian <laughs> so she's out here burning the candle on both ends apparently <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> so, uh, are you tired right now? <laughs> uh, you know, I I will sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what the, I guess the uh, saying is? But you've been an entrepreneur since like, you know, 1998, which is phenomenal. Uh, oh, an author as well, writer, producer, performing of one woman inspired, inspiring uh, comedy show. And you're a single mom of a teen. I already know how that is. <laughs> Teens are horrible. <laughs> I got, I got well, I made it out of the teenage years. He's 20 now, so technically. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know what you was going through. Um, I have uh I have eight. And... Oh <laughs> wow, well then I'm no longer allowed to be tired or <laughs> at all. I just have the one. I love when I tell people that uh, the facial expressions get them every time. Oh, uh, but yeah, so I have uh, teenagers, little ones, and then I have uh, 18 and about to be 21 year old in a few months. So Oof. yeah, I got a whole, yeah, whole bandwidth of stuff. But I wanted to, uh, you know, want to get into your uh, background. Like, you know, what really got you into, um, first, first of all, sales, right? Sales is a highly competitive industry within business. Everybody wants it. Everybody can't do it. You know, that's true. I, there's probably people that are more naturally drawn to sales as a profession than other people. But um, I've taught many people, many different types of personality, behavioral styles um, in many different industries, everything from pharmaceuticals to pest control. And um, the truth is that everybody can have a conversation with somebody to find out what they need and how they can help. And that's really the essence of sales. So if you go in there thinking, oh, what can I sell you? And you're pushy and aggressive about it. Even if you're more one of those natural sales personalities, that's not going to go very well for you. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I just come from a long line of people who have made careers out of business development, you know, so it was really never a question of what was I going to do with my life? It was more a question of, I wonder what Merit's going to sell. And uh, yeah, I ended up selling while well, I was in radio advertising for a number of years. And then I mm -hmm. opened up a sales training, sales mm -hmm. uh, management training, coaching, consulting business. And um, I ended up selling. At, and then what I was teaching was how to sell. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, a lot of fun. And it, you know, it, you know, it, it exposed me to a lot of people who would love to be natural at it and just had to work a little harder at it. So I guess my point is when I work with entrepreneurs, you know, they've been so good at getting good at what they do 
And because they're good at what they do, maybe the best at what they do, they earn the right to have their own business. Mm -hmm. But it's not good enough to be good at what you do. That's mm -hmm. kind of the ticket to entry. Mm -hmm. You have to be as good or better at getting the business. Otherwise, it really doesn't matter how good you are because the guy down the hall might be not as good at delivering the service or the product. Mm -hmm. But if he is better at selling it, you're out mm -hmm. of business. Yeah, yeah, because I, I tell people that, you know, the whole landscape of business and especially small businesses uh, changed yeah. where you have to incorporate all these different things. And then, like, you know, looking at the data where, you know, most of small businesses are one person ran operation. Like it's Welcome to Making Live Scan Services. In this video, we're going to explore our fingerprint card services, a crucial element for many official procedures. Fingerprint cards are necessary for a variety of reasons, from employment background checks to licensing, personal review, and legal documentation. They're vital in verifying the identity of professionals, students, and anyone requiring official recognition. There are two main methods for obtaining your fingerprint cards, traditional ink fingerprinting and live scan fingerprinting. Ink fingerprinting is the time-tested method involving rolling your fingers in ink onto a card. You typically fill out the card manually, usually using a black ink pen. It's reliable and effective. However, LiveScan fingerprinting offers a modern, digital alternative. With LiveScan, we capture your fingerprints electronically and print them onto the card. This method is not only cleaner and quicker, but it also ensures the highest quality prints because we can redo any print as needed. When using an FD258 card, we can print any required information, such as your name and demographics, directly onto the card. This digital process means less risk of smudges, fewer errors, and the ability to reprint cards if they're lost in the mail. At Making Live Scan Services, we manage various types of fingerprint cards, including the standard FD258, FD1164, SF87, FINRA, ATF cards, custom cards, and other specific forms that may require ink fingerprinting. So, whether you prefer ink or live scan, we're dedicated to providing a seamless and efficient fingerprinting experience. Visit our making office or take advantage of our mobile services. Let's ensure your fingerprinting is done correctly the first time. It's what, 27 million or something like that in the United States versus ones who have like, you know, five employees or, you know, six employees or more. Um, you have to wear all those different hats. And then nowadays, I feel like you also have to be an extension of that business. People have to, like, you know, want to know you some type of way. Not have to know all your business or whatever, but um, they want to feel connected. And if you're not, like, you know, connecting to your audience or whatever, then you possibly lose out on uh, sales or potential sales and things of that nature. Is that where you've seen it grow as well or move in that direction? I think people want to feel that the people they're doing business with are authentic about it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, there've been a lot of changes in business and how, how companies go to market. So, you know, if, if your audience is mostly entrepreneurs, so I can, I can speak their language. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's, it used to be that it was sort of anonymous, like who the entrepreneur was in some cases. Right. But now everything is, is very social, right? And we mm -hmm. want we want to know the the people behind the brands. So I think there's uh there's a little bit more of a personal 
element to it. And, and I'm talking in generalizations for some companies, that's not really even a thing, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, you know, I just, I think, I mean, you've heard it for decades, right? Like the, uh, the age old saying people want to do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And so the mm-hmm. question is how can you be someone that someone knows, likes, and trusts, mm-hmm. but you know, we like people who are like us, you know, there's, you know, what are those authentic connection points? But, but it's, it's deeper than that. You still have to have, you know, a heart of service and, um, Mm -hmm. but be able to ask the tough questions to, to have the conversations that are necessary to be able to close a piece of business. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's one thing I, in fact, I was coaching a woman, um, last week and she's very service oriented. She's, you know, she kept saying when we first met, like, you know, I'm, I just, I don't, it's not really about the money why I started my business. So I just want to help people. And I'm like, mm-hmm. stop right there. Mm-hmm. Cause if it's right. not about I'm the right money, then you are not in business. Like, It's okay for you to make money doing what you are good at doing. Like, welcome to the world. Like that's how the world spins. And, uh, you know, first we had to kind of get her over the hump of, you know, not being in sales, like sales was some dirty word and, you know, you could have the best product or service, but if you think sales is a bad thing, like you're not going to sell anything, forget it. Exactly. Um, so, okay. So you've been doing, uh, I guess the coaching, is that the actual business you started since 1998? You know, when I started the company, it was uh, a pretty straightforward training company with coaching, right? Every every week you would come to my training center. I would teach you the next piece of the sales process. Mm-hmm. Um, you would call me for coaching in between. It was pretty standard stuff. Mm-hmm. What I started to do to market that business, I would go and do um, programs, right? I would do talks and, and uh, workshops for business groups and association meetings and things like that. And uh, and then I started getting paid to do those marketing talks, which really I designed to fund, to fuel my training company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I quickly found that I really, really liked being the spark, you know, the spark mm-hmm. that gave somebody some inspiration that they could mm-hmm. grow and develop and get them a little bit excited about what was possible as opposed to every week teaching them the tactical things. Um, I really liked being that spark. And so then I kind of, my business model changed. I was still doing some of the training and coaching consulting work, but, but I had a new revenue stream, which was speaking at conferences and being paid as a keynote speaker, breakout Mm -hmm. speaker. Um, And so I, I really loved that. And then right before the pandemic, I ended up writing a, a one woman show. It was really purely a, a self-expression. It was something I did for, for the fun of it. It wasn't really a business thing. And uh, what was humorous to me about that was people came up to me after what I thought was an inspiring comedy show. And they, they told me about how the messages from my show resonated with their life. And then they could see new possibilities. And I thought, well, that's what I've been trying to do for a decade with my keynote. And I did it in a comedy show, like in an hour, like, huh. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think like anything, uh, when you're an entrepreneurial 
person, when you're wired like that, you're always looking, how can I make this better? How can I make this more relevant? How can I help more people? Um, and how can I make more money doing it? And mm-hmm. uh, and that's when I realized that I I have this theater piece that is really impactful and fun and people loved it. And so I then I modified my keynote so it feels more like my theater show, but it's a little bit more on the content and it's much cleaner comedy. And then if you see my theater show in a theater, you know, I can do some of the stuff I can't do for businesses. <laughs> so, but that, it feeds my soul, right? I get, mm-hmm. I get both the entertainment and the connection and the content. Um, I get, I get to do all of that. Mm-hmm. So, it, uh, at what point did, in your in your life did you realize you were funny? Did I feel what? I'm sorry. At what point in your life did you realize you were funny? Oh, uh, I think I've always been sort of naturally funny. I think I, I've always been one of those people that you know, if things were stressful, I was the one that would come in with the with the humor to kind of like everybody just needs to relax. So let me just make a joke here. And so I've been always been pretty good at that. But in 2014, I took a stand-up comedy class. And that was really the first time I had ever studied the art and science, if you will, of crafting a a tight joke. Mm -hmm. And the reason I took the class was really to be more deliberately funny in my keynotes. Um, Cause I was, I, at that point I had a good solid business and my keynotes were well received, but I thought I could be better. And so I thought, well, maybe if I learned the elements of how stand-up comedians write jokes, then that would help my presentations be funnier. And then I would get more business. And what happened was I fell in love with stand-up comedy <laughs> mm-hmm. and the next thing I know I'm making $50 in a club doing, you know, 10 minutes, which was not exactly another revenue stream, you know, it just that wasn't going to feed the family, but, um, but it did, it did help my business and it helped me understand how to take stressful things in my life and turn them around, find the funny. Um, Once I realized that things that overwhelm me or stress me out or upset me, could be funny material mm-hmm. um well then you know just my whole life changed because it's just a much it's a much more fun way to live your life if you're l- deliberately looking for the com- for the comedy i think how i describe it and what i say in my keynotes is you know they say uh and i think it was mark twain who said tragedy plus time equals comedy mm-hmm. but from my perspective, nobody said it had to take a long time. Mm-hmm. So if a, if I'm working with a company, I, I did this in a keynote recently, and the objective was to open their minds to shifting the culture of the organization. And I said, well, you know, if the saying goes, someday we'll laugh about it. What if the new saying, what if the saying at your company was, in 10 minutes, we're going to laugh about this? Mm-hmm. What does that do to shifting people's perspectives so that the stress comes down and then they can, you know, coming from a, a non-stressful mindset, can they think about new possibilities that will, would create new solutions to the problems that you have? And it was sort of like this 
instant aha are you like you could see everybody's you know eyes go whoa never thought of it like that and uh it, yeah it's been exciting to to see how that helps i love it um how do you kind of balance because based off of what i saw with your comedy and what you're doing as a business person entrepreneur i feel like you're at a uh, you're at a point where you're probably trying to balance the best you can but i feel like something is pulling you at you more so how are you able to balance all that yeah that's a great question because if you go to my the homepage of my website it says one performer three stages choose your stage so it's keynotes at conferences one woman shows in theaters comedy sets and comedy clubs stand up sets and comedy clubs and and then whatever you you choose there's a whole website that goes into the details of just that one type of stage performance. Mm-hmm. And I think when I struggled with, you know, which uh, which mouth do you feed, right? You can't you can't chase all the rabbits. You, you'll mm-hmm. get none or however that saying goes. Um, I it was very hard because I would spend my days like, OK, I need to hustle and get more keynote business. And then it was like, yeah, but I want to do my theater show. And that takes time. And mm-hmm. I don't yet have an agent, but that's what I'm working on. Um, comedy club stuff. I don't worry about going after that. That just kind of lands in my lap. But uh, what I realized was the less I tried to separate who I am in these different venues, the more uh, things were coming to me and the more one was creating opportunities for the other. So as an example, I um, uh, went, I don't have my playbill in front of me, but I have a playbill that I created for my theater show. Mm-hmm. Well, on the back of the playbill, it says, you know, here's, I have a QR code and the links to my website, which if you did, if you didn't know anything about me before you got into that theater, you would now know, oh, she's also a keynote speaker. So you never know who's in the audience, right? Somebody's running, planning a meeting or running a company or part of an Mm -hmm. association. And so now just doing my theater show creates an opening for a possibility for a keynote piece of business. Mm -hmm. And people that are in my keynotes often want to hear the rest of the show. So um, I feel like instead of trying to deliberately separate those two, which is what I wanted, which is how my thinking original originally was, you know, like, oh, I don't want to confuse my audience. Mm-hmm. Once I, I acknowledged, no, I am one performer, but mm-hmm. I have many different ways that I can teach an audience based on the type of venue that we're in and what's appropriate for that venue. And now I think I, well, I know, I know I closed a keynote deal because they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. You you incorporate part of your show into your keynote. Like, that's mm-hmm. different. We want mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting. I think when you're more of who you are naturally, it mm-hmm. resonates. Yeah, I definitely get that because I, uh, I used to do that too. I used to like try to separate all my stuff. You know, the business teaches you to separate things, everything, it's its own brand. But when it's you're the brand and you're the driving force of it, you can't separate yourself. I can't take my arm off and throw it over there. Then take my leg off and throw it over there. So I, right. I do that now. I incorporate everything and everything I do. And people know that, you know, 
we're a multifaceted people. We have a lot of different layers, a lot of onions that keep peeling, 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 and finding, you know, more stuff. Um, I was mean, just sitting here thinking, I'm like, man, it'd be cool to like hire somebody, but like, you know, just tell dirty office jokes here, like Chris's party or something like that. Like, no, just keep the culture alive, you know, <laughs> so we'll be all boring and, you know, I think things like that, especially within a small business or, you know, a, um, a heavily culture centered business where, you know, it's not too many people, but it is enough. It keeps the morale up. It just, it tears away the monotony of the day and things of that nature. You know, and it keeps things like, you know, interesting and alive. Um, have Absolutely. you been presented any type of opportunity like this? Something where it's a little bit more outside of just a keynote engagement. It's sort of like that, but you know, hey, Let's just bring you in and like, you know, let's joke about business or whatever per se to lighten it up. And, you know, if it goes a little, you know, R every now and then or whatever, it's cool. Depends on the company, right? So, you know, I always I always interview the the leadership of a organization that I'm gonna speak to. And I ask them, you know, how how much can I get away with with your audience? What's comfortable? You know, here's a couple of stories that are a little bit on the edgy side. Will they love that? Will I offend someone? Like, where are we at? Right. And so it depends on, on the business. Uh, you know, the, the, um, accountants that I spoke to a couple of weeks ago were surprisingly open to some uh, some material that I didn't think that they would be open to. But I always, I don't want my audiences or my, or I don't want my meeting planners um, or leadership to ever worry about anything I'm going to say from the stage, right? As soon as I take the stage, they should be relaxed, like, okay, Merit's in charge. She's got this. They're going to mm -hmm. love it. They're going to laugh. They're going to learn. I can relax. Like no one's going to complain about this program. That's mm -hmm. that's what's in their mind. I've been doing this long enough to know that's that's my that's my client, right? The mm -hmm. the people who planned it. And so as long as I've done my homework to make sure I have a really good sense of who's in the room, I know the message is going to land and the and the delivery model that I choose for that specific audience is going to be right for that audience. Um uh, you know, that's just comes from, you know, m more than a decade of doing this. And you, you, you understand, like, I don't want to get in trouble <laughs> with, mm -hmm. with anyone. I don't want anybody to ever come up and say, and this has never happened, but I wouldn't, I don't ever want it to happen that somebody would be like, you know, I just, I didn't, um, I didn't connect with her or I didn't, uh, I found it her offensive. Like no one would mm -hmm. ever say that about my programs. And I like it that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Definitely understand that. Um, I was, I was like looking at you, and the reason I said earlier, like, you know, what did you realize you're funny? Because I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of uh, not uh, media branded or, you know, big comedians. You know, when people think about talent, you're thinking about the top people at the top. You know, think about that. There's a whole slew of talent um, underneath that. And, you know, some people are comedians, but they're not as funny. Some people seem more funnier when their name is more, I guess, recognized or something like that. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, you know, there's only going to be 10 of the top 10 comedians, right? Like, yeah. you know, the people you're seeing on Netflix and that mm. sell out Red Rocks, you know, concert venues doing comedy, like, make no mistake about it. That is a tough avenue. Like, that's... I have, I, I have no 
personal aspirations to be one of the leading stand-up comedians. That mm-hmm. is, that's one particular delivery model. It's one particular business model. It's it's a lot of travel. It's a, you know, well, travel's not too bad. I don't, I don't mind the travel part, but it's, uh, it's not necessarily the lifestyle that I want to be a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. I would like to be known for delivering impactful business keynotes mm-hmm. that have a theatrical humorous flair to them. Um, frankly, keynotes pay a lot better than <laughs> comedians, yeah. unless you're one of the top 10, you know, that's, you know, you're making a, a lot of money, but uh, I, I like being impactful in, in the business arena. I, mm-hmm. you know, I have a lot of expertise with the sales and management and I'm certified in emotional intelligence. So I have a lot of content that's useful. And I think because I can deliver it in some humorous, engaging ways, that makes me very unique in the keynote speaker arena. So I like doing that and I'd like to keep doing that. Um, and then I would like to be known. I think I'd like my my show to eventually have a life of its own. I you know, in that arena, I would love to have a, a touring cast of my show, like just because it's my life story, unscripted, mm-hmm. unstoppable and unexpectedly funny. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to necessarily be me delivering it. Right. It could mm-hmm. be any actor. Um, and I think it would be fun to watch somebody do my show, but watch it from the back of the stage and or the back of the theater and, you know, let other people shine. So. I have a lot of visions for where I'd like to take that, but I'd like to be known in that, in the theater world for that piece. Um, and then, and then do my keynotes. So. Yeah, definitely. This, I've loved it. Um, especially you want to let everyone else shine as well. And like I was saying, like, you know, I watched uh, some of your stuff and I was like, okay, I was sitting there laughing, especially the joke about the marriage. <laughs> That was hilarious. I have a I have a few marriage jokes, so uh, I don't think my ex husband will think they're hilarious, but that's okay. That's why he's my ex. Although my ex husband did uh, say after one of my shows when we were still married, and I mm-hmm. and I was joking about him at the time, and he was in the audience, and mm-hmm. he said, um, "Good thing you're married to me. I make you funny," which just became another joke. Like, actually, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, it was hilarious. Uh, but I, I actually laughed about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back and watch some stuff because I already know I'm, I'm going to have a good time. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was what you mentioned, the emotional intelligence, especially when it comes to business, right? Uh, what would be like, you know, something that people overlook and, you know, don't think that it requires you know, emotional intelligence? Um, I think, uh, you know, again, what, like I said earlier, you know, most entrepreneurs spend their time and their money and their effort to get good at what they do. And I wish I would have learned earlier, early in my career, I remember somebody telling me, if you want to be good in sales, you have to learn as much as you can about other people. And that was 50% good advice. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it is important to study different behavioral styles. And, you know, there's people who are more about the stories and there's people who are more bottom bottom line people and all of that makes sense. Um, But what I wished I would have heard earlier was 
the the person you need to understand more, more than anyone is yourself and you know that's that runs deep that's like understanding who i was in my 20s is different than understanding myself in my 40s and now my 50s um, I think the more you can understand about how you're wired and the foundation that you're layering all of your learning on top of, the the more successful you will be in any area of your life. So when I started studying emotional intelligence, it really was because I had two guys in my training class. This was back in 2005. And uh they were both hired by the same company at the same time. They they sold the same products and services in the same territory for the same price point. Personally, I think they looked alike. Like everything about these guys was the same. And they sat in my class learning the same sales process from the same trainer in the same moment, except one of them did amazing, like went out and every week he would come back and have a, some new success story. And the other one was like, status quo. Like you didn't really do mm -hmm. anything with it, which was eye opening to me and a little humbling because I realized I couldn't take credit for the guy having amazing results if I didn't also take responsibility for the guy that really didn't do much with anything that I taught him. And that's when I realized it's really not about what I'm teaching. It's, it's not about me as the trainer at all, which is, you know, not what many sales trainers would admit to. Um, what was different and why these guys had such a different experience was not what I was not the the training I was layering on top. It was the foundation of of how they were wired underneath. Like one of them super upbeat, optimistic. The other one not so much. Mm -hmm. Um, one of uh, you know the guy getting results was was uh, had a high self regard. The other one there were some kinks in that armor, right? So there was once I could do an emotional intelligence assessment and I could see like no bullshit, here's here's how you're wired right now at this snapshot in time, then I could coach someone a little different because if I know as an example, you don't have impulse control, like somebody's going to be out there asking you a question and you're just going to blurt out an answer. Regardless if I've taught you that the question somebody's asking is not the real question, you want to find out why did they ask that question mm -hmm. so that you're answering the real question. And that's one of the secrets of sale. good professional salespeople is they're, they're, they're answering the real question. So if you don't have impulse control, and I don't know that as your coach, I'm going to teach you the same as if you did have impulse control. But if I can identify that one piece on an emotional intelligence assessment, which I can, then I can go, oh, you don't have impulse control. So here's how I need to teach you questioning techniques. I need to teach you to first say, look, sometimes you're going to ask me a question and I'm excited because I, I've been in this business for a while and I want to share all the answers, but I may have to interrupt myself at some point during my answer and just go, wait a minute, you must have asked me that for a reason. So now I'm giving them the actual prescriptive language that's going to slow them down so that they can find out why that question is being asked. And they're going to be 10 times more effective as a sales professional when they are not in an argument with reality about who they are and how they're wired while they are learning how to improve. I love it. Um, 
to others, it might be a lot of information that you need to say, but I get where you go. I, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a lot to life. unpack. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and I don't think, you know, most people really get to have those questions or even have the, you know, understanding of you know how how depth in depth that is and understanding the underlying question behind the question. And right. Like you said, it, it does improve sales sometimes for what I've seen it in action. Um, but I do know, you know what I'm saying, you're, you're a busy woman, and I want to take up all your time today, even though I could, I, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I really could. Well, thank you. Um, let everybody know, if anybody out there wants to, like, get in contact, if they want to, you know, look for a keynote or, you know, comedy, mixture of the two, support in any type of way, where do they need to be directed? Yeah, the, the hub of everything is is my website. So that's MeritCon.com. So it's M-E-R-I-T-K-A-H-N. And on there, there's a there's a let's talk button. If I've said something that intrigues you, you want to do an emotional intelligence assessment or you want to, you know, ask me about anything, um, just click the button and book time on my calendar. Like That's not that deep. It's not the you know, <laughs> just you're on my calendar. Let's talk. Um, and, uh, if you're intrigued and you'd like to see the theater show, I am touring the U S so I'll be in Fort Myers, Florida at the end of January. I'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina, February 4th. I've got some other exciting, uh, projects coming in the works and I'll be doing my show quite a bit, um, over the course of the year across the U S. So if you want to get on the list and you want to know when the show is coming to your area, or you would like to, you've got a, a theater or a group that you'd like to bring the show to, I, I, um, I've been uh, exploring the idea of doing the show as fundraisers for organizations. So there's lots of creative things we can do with it. So click the theater button and or the or the let's talk button and let's get on the list for uh, when the show could be coming to you. I love it. So y'all make sure y'all go out there to MeritKind.com and you know book 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 and support. And I would love to bring you back and you know one finish. You know what I'm saying this this conversation because it, well, it's a lot that we can go into uh, but also to see you know how bigger you grow and you get and you know where the your talent takes you whether it be keynote speaking or the comedy or you know just straight up you know coaching people and things of that nature but I definitely appreciate your time and like I said everybody go out there y'all make sure you all support and if y'all have not y'all make sure y'all keep going to the website make that radio show.com and keep following on social media for all the content and Exclusive interviews that we bring. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.